it's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. My name is Claudio Mendonca. Good evening. Have you been itching to build a new in-law unit on your property? Well, Gavin Newsom signed several bills yesterday hoping to create affordable housing in our state as quickly as possible. After an update on the wildfires burning around our state, the California Report dives into part two of the investigation, Dangerous Air. Then, after regional headlines and weather, Felton Pruitt talks with Nevada County's Public Health Director, Jill Blake, about accreditation and COVID boosters. We close tonight with a commentary by Don Ravinas. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin in Sacramento, where Governor Gavin Newsom signed more than two dozen bills yesterday aimed at addressing California's housing crisis. The overall goal, according to Newsom, is to create more affordable housing more quickly. The laws aim to provide more oversight to make sure cities and counties are following state laws already on the books and force cities and towns to meet housing targets. This is unprecedented. The state has never focused on housing accountability. And trust me, it's not overwhelmingly popular. The new laws allow more building on public land and remove barriers to building in-law units. They also aim to streamline regulatory fees that can be a hurdle to housing construction. Now to the latest on wildfires burning around the state. The KNP complex fire in Sequoia National Park continues to burn pretty much unabated. It's charred nearly 50,000 acres and is just 8% contained. Clint Remington with the U.S. Forest Service says the fire is burning in steep and hazardous terrain. A lot of this country is pretty tough around this fire. Um, the crews and the engines and, and those folks, the crews especially, they're having long hikes in and out. Um, rough country, but they're, they're doing exceptionally well. Meanwhile, to the south, the Windy Fire, which is also burning in Sequoia National Park, has scorched almost 90,000 acres. It's just 6% contained. Well, today we continue our investigation, Dangerous Air. It's based on an analysis by NPR's California Newsroom that looks at more than 10 years of data and finds a shocking increase in wildfire smoke. Children are especially at risk. So KQED's Farida Javala Romero visited schools in rural Northern California, one of the worst hit regions. She brings us this second story in our series. Long-timers say sports events anchor the town of Willows, 100 miles north of Sacramento. At a Friday junior varsity football game in this town of 6,000, cheerleaders shake their gold and purple pom-poms. Thick haze covers nearby mountains in this part of the Sacramento Valley as megafires burn in Northern California. When there's too much smoke in the air, schools cancel outdoor activities like football. But today... Today's better, obviously, because we're playing the game. Stacy Lancy has two teen sons, one of them a student at this high school. She's also a third grade teacher and says the bad air quality is affecting students. As far as like kids going out to recess, playing sports, and kind of like an overall health, we don't know why we're having headaches and runny noses. Headaches, runny noses, and a myriad of more serious health problems have all been linked to breathing wildfire smoke. Willows endured more than three months of smoke per year on average between 2016 and 2020, 
making it the smokiest place in the state. Millions of Americans are also breathing a lot more smoke from Western wildfires, an impact felt from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. That's according to an analysis of a decade of federal satellite images by NPR's California Newsroom in partnership with Stanford University's Environmental Change and Human Outcomes Lab. In a small town like Willows, physician assistant Brett Brown regularly treats patients at the hospital's family clinic. When there's smoke in the air, he sees more patients suffering asthma attacks, intense migraines, and stress. There's always somebody who says something about, well, because of the smoke, insert, you know, problem here, whether it's I haven't been able to breathe as well because my allergies are so bad or um, I haven't been able to see my mom and dad because of COVID and now I can't even go outside so my mental health is so much worse. Children are more sensitive to dangerous particles and wildfire smoke because their lungs are developing. Since the scale of wildfires has never been seen before in modern history, we don't know much about the long-term impacts. And that has parents like Brown worried. So if you let your kids play outside during smoke days, what's going to happen to their lung capacity or their cancer risk? We don't know what that data looks like yet. At Murdoch Elementary, hundreds of students pour out of classrooms and play with balls and hula hoops during recess. It's a good day, but Principal Miguel Barriga doesn't take this recess for granted. When the air quality reaches levels the federal government says are unhealthy, Barriga has to keep students inside all day. And that's tough for some kids. You know, we'll end up in the office, uh, acting out in class, get emotional one way or another, or want to go home. Like other school administrators here, Barriga monitors local air quality reports constantly during wildfire season. He says he wants better forest management and solutions to climate change so fires don't burn so intensely. You want to believe that the decisions at, at levels higher than ours are going to be made, will be made to um, make it be more normal. More like it used to be, he says, when you could go outside and not worry about breathing wildfire smoke. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero and Willows. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Blue Shield of California, Closing the health care gap since 1939, learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Before we go today, I want to share some news. After three years, this will be my last day hosting the California Report. When I lived in the North State 17 years ago, this show would come on the radio on my drive to my first broadcasting job. And back then, I never imagined that I would get to be a part of it. I've loved getting to share the news with all of you each morning. I've gotten to do that from the field and from our partner stations all around the state. And for that, I am very thankful. I'm going to go back to being a California Report super fan now, and I'll fill you in on what's next for me soon. 
Big thanks to the California Report morning team, Angela and Mary Franklin, Saul, Keith, and our engineers, Danny and Katie. You guys are the absolute best. That is the California Report for this Wednesday. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Locally, Nevada County reported 26 new lab-confirmed COVID-19 cases today for a total of 661 active cases. 17 are listed as hospitalized. Following up on yesterday's report, Dignity Health, the company that runs Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, released a statement today that says that it supports state and federal guidelines that require COVID-19 vaccination for healthcare workers. And that, quote, to align with the California requirement, employees who have not begun the vaccination process and do not have an approved exemption will be placed on administrative leave as of Friday, October 1st, end quote. It says employees who continue to decline to be vaccinated will no longer be eligible for employment. And that employees with approved exemptions will continue to wear masks and will undergo regular testing for COVID-19. And, in a bit of good news, Good Times, Grass Valley's board store, will be hosting a skateboarding competition this Saturday, October 2nd, at noon at the Condon Park Skate Park in Grass Valley. Anyone interested in participating is invited to register as a participant in one of four categories, beginner, intermediate, advanced, and ladies. Pre-registration is available at the store now and beginning at 10 a.m. on Saturday. And turning to weather, tonight in Grass Valley and Nevada City, mostly clear with a low around 53. Although elevated fire weather conditions are expected to linger into tomorrow morning, you can expect a beautiful day tomorrow. It's going to be sunny with a high of 81 degrees. The AQI for Grass Valley and Nevada City tomorrow is forecast to be good at 29. Moving next to Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight clear and cold with a low around 31. Tomorrow will be sunny and crisp with a high near 68. The AQI for Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region is expected to be good tomorrow at 15. And finally, for our family in the Central Valley, tonight in Sacramento and Woodland, mostly clear with a low around 52 degrees. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 85. Tomorrow in the Valley, another good air day. The AQI will be 48. The Nevada County Public Health Department was recently accredited via the Public Health Accreditation Board's national accreditation process. Felton Pruitt talks to Nevada County's Public Health Director, Jill Blake, about it next. We're talking with Jill Blake. She's the Public Health Director for Nevada County. Thank you for speaking with us, Jill. It's my understanding that the Public Health Department just got accredited. Yes, that is true. Thank you, Felton, so much for having me on to talk about this. Our department has been working on becoming accredited for about five years. It was a very long journey, and the status is one that indicates really high standards of excellence. So yes, we wear this new badge very proudly. So it's a new badge. Now, I I think a lot of people would just assume, "What, what, you're not accredited in the first place? Explain how all of that process worked. Sure. Yeah. Accreditation is a relatively new thing for the field of public health. 
I think it got kicked off in 2012. Again, really, it's a, it's a process where the Public Health Accreditation Board, it's a national board, fondly referred to as FAB, they set standards of excellence that local health departments and state health departments and tribal health departments can strive towards to improve their performance, to identify their strengths and weaknesses, to get on a path of continuous quality improvement. And if you are able to demonstrate that you meet certain standards, then you get this badge. We had started talking about it as early as late 2012, but really we kicked off our concrete work in 2014. And I will say, this really wasn't just about getting accredited. It was really about the journey that took us to accreditation. We really had to take a good, hard, long look at ourselves as a department and be brave enough to claim our strengths and also look for areas of improvement as we were striving towards excellence in our work and in serving the community. And it was a long, fruitful journey where we learned so much about ourselves, so much about our work, so much about our partners, about our community, um, and how to function in all of those areas as well. So it's been a, a terrific journey that paid off in this newly earned status. So what changes happened a couple years ago when COVID started in the accreditation process? I mean, did you have different boxes you needed to check off once COVID started spreading around the country and the world? Really, we had to submit thousands of pages of documentation to FAB or the Public Health Accreditation Board that they would then use to consider to determine whether or not we met the standards and could be accredited. And we submitted all of that documentation in October of 2019. Um, so that was actually quite fortunate timing on our part, not knowing that there was a pandemic around the corner. Most of our accreditation work had been completed by the time the pandemic hit. There was one last step in that accreditation process, and that was a site visit that, of course, got postponed due to the pandemic. So that put off our process by about a year. But I'll tell you what accreditation did for us in terms of the pandemic. It left us more prepared to do all the things that we've had to do over the last year and a half. Again, we, we spent five years on quality improvement activities, strengthening our department, strengthening our processes, strengthening our services strengthening our ability to be reflective and determine where we could be doing better. And I have no doubt that it helped shape, form, and improve our COVID response. Let's talk about boosters for a second. It's been announced now that if you had your two Pfizer shots, you're now eligible for a booster if you meet certain criteria. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yes, you're correct. So the Pfizer boosters have been authorized for people who received the two doses of the Pfizer vaccine at least six months ago. I just want to make sure people understand they are advised not to mix vaccines. So the Pfizer booster is not for you unless you were fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine. So they make a pretty clear distinction between those who should get the booster and those who may consider getting a booster. And those who should get a booster include people who are 65 and older, because as we age, we have a lesser response to a vaccine. Also to residents of long-term care facilities and people ages 50 to 64 with certain underlying health conditions. Also people who may be at increased risk due to social inequities. Those are the groups of people who should get a booster. 
And really, it is intended to enhance their response, to bolster their response, to provide them further protection against becoming seriously ill with the COVID-19. If one of our listeners falls into that category, how do they go about getting their booster? Just the same way they got their initial shots, or is it a different process? It might be a slightly different process. So I'll just preface this by saying that we as a public health department, we remain committed to and focused on vaccinating the unvaccinated. So that remains our charge. What that entailed a few months back was we stood up this Whispering Pines vaccination clinic where we provided over 20,000 vaccinations. If you were vaccinated there, you don't have an option to return there because that clinic is no longer open. But if somebody went to the website myturn.ca.gov or they called the toll-free number, the toll-free number for MyTurn is 833-422-4255. So you can go to MyTurn or call that toll-free number and find out where locally you can get a booster shot of the Pfizer vaccine. And then also on our webpage um, at mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus, on the left-hand side of that webpage, you'll see a tab where the get vaccinated information is located. If you click on that tab, you'll also find links to the various national pharmacies who may not be in the MyTurn system. So there are pharmacies that are vaccinating, there are clinics that are vaccinating, and a limited number of healthcare providers that are that are providing these booster shots as well. We've been talking with Jill Blake, the Public Health Director for Nevada County. Thank you for the information and your time. My pleasure. We close now with a commentary by Don Ravinas. Don is the chairperson for Nevada County Climate Action Now, a group primarily engaged in work on energy issues necessary to alleviate the climate crisis. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change recently released the most comprehensive climate change report ever on the state of Earth's climate and how human activities affect it. Here are some of the key findings. Earth has warmed nearly two degrees Fahrenheit since the Industrial Revolution began. All global warming is due to human activities. Climate change is now affecting every continent, region, and ocean on Earth. Extreme weather events are more frequent as a result of the climate crisis. The report states that to stabilize the climate, carbon emissions must reach net zero much sooner than 2050. Near-term goals should cut carbon emissions by a minimum of 50% by 2030. California's Senate Bill 100 will meet UN goals calling for 60% renewable electricity by 2030 and 100% renewable and zero carbon electricity by 2045. These goals can only be accomplished by dethroning oil, coal, and gas as the central energy sources powering the global economy. So how can Nevada County plan to meet UN and California goals? Nevada City, Grass Valley, and Nevada County all have adopted energy action plans that call for citizen voluntary actions to meet emission reduction goals. Unfortunately, the energy plans are still a long way from meeting the climate timelines. They are not enough by themselves because there are many physical, financial, and regulatory barriers as well. Hurdles include all buildings are are not situated to be able to use solar. Many building units are leased and the building owner doesn't pay for electricity. 
Proposed California solar rate requirements would make it too costly to purchase new solar panels. Finally, building retrofitting for energy efficiency can be too costly for most families and businesses. So how do we reach California renewable energy goals? I feel the best option is to join an existing community choice aggregation or one formed by NID, Nevada Irrigation District. These are local not-for-profit public agencies that allow cities, counties, and some special districts to sum up the buying power of individual customers within their areas in order to secure energy supply for their customers. Why are CCIs so desirable? Operation decisions are made by local officials. As nonprofits, CCAs offer stable, cheaper electricity rates. Revenues stay at home in the county and support local economies. Rapid switch to cleaner power supply and significant greenhouse gas reductions. A captive market where all customers in the area are automatically enrolled in the CCA. However, customers do have an individual opt-out provision. With lower costs, CCAs will have funds available for energy efficiency like energy storage and EV charging stations. Local sources of power could include a Nevada City Airport solar farm, NID hydropower, and municipal solar power. A CCA would solve the problems of all community members being able to participate in saving money while helping reach 100% renewable energy for the community. But what about energy resilience needed to respond to PG&E shutoffs and other emergencies? Energy resilience is ensuring having a reliable, regular source of energy, backup storage, and contingency measures in place in the event of a power failure from power surges, weather, natural disasters, accidents, and equipment failure. Energy backup storage technologies have the capacities to benefit each segment of the power system. Keep critical equipment online during power disruptions, reduce utility bills and generate revenue, reliable backup power during severe weather and other blackouts, and reduce utility bills and generate revenue. In conclusion, each of you can help meet the climate challenge. Go to www.ncclimateaction.org for more information. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That wraps up our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. Head on over to our website, kvmr.org, to listen to Felton's entire conversation with Jill Blake. Here at KVMR, we get support from Dr. Saul Barros and Audiology Associates Hearing Center, connecting the Nevada County community to the sounds of life offering holistic hearing health care, including hearing tests, earwax removal, hearing aids, and counseling. More information at grassvalleyhearing.com. And Watershed at the Owl, open Thursday through Saturday at 2 p.m. for indoor and outdoor dining. 
offering locally sourced seasonal menu items from salads to steaks and more. Reservations encouraged on Mill Street, Grass Valley, watershedattheowl.com. Stick around. Coming up next is The Sages Among Us. Tonight, Holly Grimaldi Flores will speak with Nevada County Airport Manager Kevin Edwards. Then at 7, we bring you Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening and for supporting your homegrown, people-powered radio station, KVMR. Have a good evening.